Welcome to Talk Design Show, where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey, your host, and having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. My guests on Talk Design today are Patricia and Tommy from Chen Suchat Architecture. Chen Suchat Studio is what they call themselves, but they're architects from Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm really blessed to have them this close to Christmas um, on the show. And they're making time to chat through their phenomenal work and their philosophy of architecture. So guys, welcome to the show. Really lovely to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So let's kick off with this kind of a, a fairly regular question, which is how did you two decide that this is what you're going to do separately, that you were going to do the architectural thing? What was the influence? And Patricia, ladies first. Yeah. <laughs> Just to throw you in the hot seat there, hon. Um, so I grew up in Taiwan. And growing up, a lot of my family friends are architects. And I'm always into the arts, not specifically architecture. So when I came to apply for college, um, my parents basically said to me, you can go into the field of arts, but it needs to be something that later on you can support yourself. And they chose architecture? Um, so um so i went to rizzi and that's where i met tommy um so we were at the we were in the same year and we graduated for five years and then went on to harvard for our uh, master degrees nice Um, and we stayed in Boston for two years, two years working. And then we decided to move to Phoenix where Tommy grew up. Okay. So, so it was actually like with your parents, when they said, you know, the arts, did they, it was because that you were, you know, you had a bent towards the arts. You had a, an affinity with it. I'm picking. Um, yeah. And what were the other arts that you looked at instead of architecture? Or did, was it just, I'm doing architecture? Um, I think, you know, I thought about jewelry design, uh-huh. um, fashion, maybe a little bit. My mom um, went to FIT for a little bit in New York oh, yeah. City. Cool. So, you know, I've always been influenced kind of you know, in the, the arts. She can draw really well and she... I thought about, oh, maybe it'd be nice to be a chef, maybe, you know, that's another. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, But I don't know, architecture just somehow seemed like the. Seemed like the path. Path, yeah. I I did uh, fashion design for many years before I started drawing houses and people go to me, how does that relate? I say people live in them. They live in clothes, they live in houses. How hard could it be? Yeah, it's not. There is a little out of that, of course. But um, I also really love talking to fashion designers based on 
the the speed of what they have to do. Like we we all work in a very long, slow cycle type business where mm-hmm. fashion is a fast cycle business. And um, you have to reinvent regularly. You in architecture, you kind of reinvent slowly. You know, you reinvent slowly. You move through things as opposed to making. I don't know. In fashion, you might design a few hundred garments in a year, maybe a collection even. But you know, that'd be across a team. Um, but in architecture, you might design you know fifteen or twenty if you knocking it out of the park kind of thing it's like that yeah it's very different businesses and then it doesn't take 20 minutes on a sewing machine to make it it takes you know 12 months to build it or eight months to build it or something Mm. both very different businesses but very similar they're all about emotions and feelings and understanding the environment that you're going to be wearing them in and etc etc yeah and not so much engineering. No, there is actually in the garments, there's an equal probably kind of engineering. It's just not as critical. You know, the thing doesn't fall down. Or if it's badly engineered, it's just uncomfortable. But <laughs> <laughs> So that took you guys, that's where you met, and that's how you got together. So, Tommy, you started out in um, Phoenix, was it? And as, a, as a, grew up in Phoenix and then went from there? Yes, I, I grew up here, um, born and raised in, in Arizona. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, left early, left early for high school, headed to the East Coast, um, and quite frankly, never thought I would ever come back to Arizona. It was a different yeah, right. place at the time. It was more of just this kind of never-ending uh, consumption of the, of the land and of space driven mm. by the automobile. I mean, it's a 20th century city, so I can't blame it for that. Yeah, um, but that's where I grew up, and again, never thought I would come back. Uh, we met at RISD, went on to graduate school, like Patricia was saying, and then eventually, you know, sitting in Boston, working at you know great offices. Day to day, you realize that the environment that you're in, snow, is not something for me. <laughs> snow and cold weather was really not something for me. <laughs> There's a little thing that went, uh. Uh-uh. But Patricia, you would have had snow in Taiwan, yeah? No. No? But parts do? Not really. Like in high elevation, yes. But But that's it. Yeah, I thought so. But yeah, I was like, okay. Um, I I love Boston. Um, I used to live in London. And when I lived in London, I had two guys who lived in the, the flat downstairs. This is when I was like in my 20s. And one of them was from Boston and uh, they were working for the U S government doing a job for on clearing, actually clearing uh, military sites of asbestos. So they were, they identified asbestos. Anyway, they were the funniest two guys. They were hilarious. My girlfriend thought that they were just like the worst people I could ever be hanging out with. Um, So I probably hung out with them a little extra for that reason. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they, um, one of them still a buddy of mine today. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yep. The other one, I don't know where he's at, but uh, yeah, the other one, Randall, him and I like catch up every couple of months. Um, and we're talking, you know, 
30, 40 years on sort of thing, 30 something years on, you know, and like we still catch up, hang out. So it's really neat, really, really neat. Um, one of those people you kind of collect along the way. Um, and But what a cool town as well. Like Boston's a really neat town. But uh, the thing that you just said before about the consumption of land in a 20th century city, in that sense, like that, I go, ah, oh, it had those words had never occurred to me before or have been said to me before, this massive consumption of land, which we've got that happening right here where I am now. We've got this massive consumption of land. And you, you, you look at it and you go where those other cities, uh, they're not continuing necessarily are consuming land, but they're not con that they've got a core and a hub that's already something that was there. Right. So in... In Phoenix, so you you dragged Patricia back there, and um, I'm picking she went pretty happily. Um, so then, and and you guys just sort of it was just a done thing. You were just going to set up practice, or, or how did that well, happen? Yeah, I mean, I think when when we decided to leave Boston and we were going to look to go to somewhere else, it wasn't necessarily yeah. um, Phoenix, you know, my hometown that. We were looking to but one aspect aside from the snow i kind of say that tongue-in-cheek yeah. because that's not the only driving factor the other opportunity that presented itself is really that we wanted to we knew we wanted to start our own practice mm -hmm. and and that was going to be uh more challenging we felt in boston where you know we saw it we saw it from our peers and friends right. older colleagues that one it was more challenging uh because of the sort of setting of the 350 year old city and also like the opportunities that are presented to oneself is like an interior remodel of let's say a bathroom or a master bathroom if you're lucky and no knock on that you know that's you know a great no no it, somebody's doing that work it's yeah. great but like it isn't what you aspired to exactly well everyone's got to start somewhere and yeah. that's fine um, but we just wanted to see what other opportunities presented themselves when we moved out here now, almost, almost 20 years ago, it's 2003. Wow. We moved out in the beginning and sort of have tried to build our practice since we, since we got here. So 20 years in nearly. Yeah, almost. I mean, it's hard to believe that, but yeah, yeah almost that long. It, well, again, if it was a short cycle business like fashion, you'd be going, oh, goodness, we've done, you know, 20 summers, 20 <laughs> late summers, 20 pre-summers, 20 spring collections, 20 crews, you know, like <laughs> you'd have this massive body of work um, and half right. of it you'd be rolling over every year into the next year just with a new colour or whatever, a new fabric. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. It's um, 20 years doesn't seem like a long time in this industry, that's for sure. It's... Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't. Um, that's it, the interesting thing. Yeah, in that twenty-year journey, at some point, there was a there was a building or a design that gave you the break from you know bus stops and um, and and bathrooms. <laughs> I sort of say that tongue in cheek, it, it, because everybody starts somewhere, you know, back decks and you know garages and stuff there was something that gave you the break what was the what was that project the one that you went oh and did you recognize it at the time right uh no we definitely recognized it at the time because we 
charge very little for it at the time <laughs> you kind of own a part of that building still <laughs> yes to do that so we were, we were working and they all kind of slammed together at, at once which is great an engineer that we had been working with he was going to build a new house and so he asked us to design his house yep. as one of our first projects we had moved in to this house that we're living in now um and a neighbor across the street happened to be uh wanting to remodel his house and we connected by you know we happened to be both getting the mail at the same time yeah right and, and i had you know just happened to bump into him before somewhere else and because he was doing a different project somewhere else and then we happened to bump into each other and we're neighbors and oh, so wow. which, which doesn't happen often that's oh. a very rare yeah. occurrence and so both those projects that i mentioned uh were the first two projects that really allowed us to do something on our own yeah. that was, uh, you know, it wasn't a bathroom remodel or something like that. They were full on brand new, brand new houses. Yeah. And so, um, you know, they were great opportunities and then those just kept building on to others. And luckily the first four projects that we had, um, were all ground up brand new projects out of the ground and, all, we were four for four at that point. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. That's a pretty interesting um, way to get started like that, isn't it? You know, when you think about it, like that's a heap of trust that somebody has in you and that, you know, a heap of belief in yourselves as well um, because, you know, there's a bit of imposter syndrome that, that kind of arrives with that first new build, I'm sure. <laughs> you go, oh, oh, here we go. And then um, you're testing out so many different parts of the relationship to get there as well. Um, yeah. You know, the, the client's always a, a, another part of that sort of journey with it. And um, you, you're matching personalities and feels and all those kinds of things. So when that happened, obviously the two of you were slightly overworked at that yeah. point. So who takes the lead out of you two? Who's, who's the boss? Who does what? Well, I, <laughs> dare you I, say it on, re on a recording <laughs> well it, it is a it's definitely a partnership someone has to someone has to get something down on the page yeah and so usually that is that is me i mean patricia has the added responsibility of now taking care of our our our, our young children yeah and, and managing that as as well as you know uh being the business partner and and design partner that she is but so someone has to throw someone has to start so someone throws yeah. something out on a page and then there's a conversation there's a back and forth there at the fourth that goes on with it and that's how we build upon sort of the basic ideas from the beginning and then it really gets into nuance that any of us can uh you know take on yeah um, during that design process uh, we're both sort of you know trained relatively equal i mean i just I probably happen to have more experience uh, from construction drawings and then eventually construction administration, you know, seeing okay. yep. again. When Patricia's pregnant, she wasn't, I wasn't going to allow her to climb ladders <laughs> on the project that we had yeah. every construction <laughs> at the time. So inevitably, you know, I have more experience with construction than, than she does. Yeah, right. 
which is kind of cool. I mean, everybody in every situation, somebody kind of takes a, a, a lead point at some point. You know, something falls into someone's lap, whether it's necessity because there's too much to do, or it's um, there's an affinity with it that just makes it more theirs than somebody else's. Um, and do you do it as a, as a crit? Do you put them up on the wall and have to explain to each other what you're thinking, <laughs> or do you just sit around the ha- and, and around the dining room table and knock it out, or? How do you stop working? Yeah, don't. <laughs> we we don't stop working. That's that's a little bit of the of the challenge. Um, but you know, we're largely we're sitting together and we're sketching or sketching yeah. ideas or talking about things like that. Um, and yeah, so it's very live when it's happening. I think yeah. so. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and maybe something that lasts, you know, fifteen minutes or yeah. sure. doesn't have to last that long. But there's a genesis of certain ideas that come about during those conversations. Um, mm. I remember one particular one we were working on, which is actively under construction now, is uh, this tasting room for a, a winery that we're working on in Southern Arizona in wine country. And, you know, we, it has this kind of beautiful, pristine landscape, unspoiled landscape. And it's at about 5,000 foot elevation, sort of grasslands, uh, Arizona which are not like any other part of uh, part of the state yeah um, and it happens to be that that's why that's conducive to great to- growing there. right and so to kind of do something in that landscape it's like you know what is that move that you're going to make in the landscape and I kept drawing these these buildings these like you know distinct buildings there and I would like show Patricia like what do you think about this and then she kept coming back and she's like nope looks too much like a building looks too much like a building. And like, after a couple of times, I was like, okay, it looks too much like a building. You know, what does that mean? And it really became about like, how do you create something in this rather pristine landscape that has been unspoiled by man? Yeah. And do something there that complements that landscape. So it's not necessarily identifiable as a building so much as a a piece of sculpture, a piece of land art that's out in that landscape. And so, Patricia, what drove you, what was driving you that you were going, what just looks too much like a building? It's just, I don't know, sometimes it just, the, I guess the, my hunch, the yeah. feeling of what, what looks right, what doesn't feel right. And a lot of our conversation, I would say, I think Tommy is more of a, organized detail person uh-huh. and I'm more of a you know the big picture or just how it feels how uh-huh. yep. what the, the maybe the mood that I want the space to be yeah and Tommy would you know translate that into something that into is, something that's that will execute yeah so, you know that's a lot of times how we work like you know he would draw something out react to it and Add yeah. to it, and then he takes away something to think about it, and that's how we, yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. Because that's the part. That's there's the magic part, is yeah. that a you both do it with each other, but that you've actually kind of got this the crossover roles, but you know, um, you didn't end up with a tower in the desert. <laughs> um, you end up with something that's in of the desert, as opposed to something that's in the desert. And or, or in the grassland, you know, like that's that. That's I think the genius of it is uh, 
there's a company which I really love some of their work called Open Architecture, and they did this um, uh, like an opera hall, and it's near Beijing, near the Great Wall. And um, I don't know if you look it up, it's again one of those things that you go, oh wow, <laughs> like it's it's of the space, and yet it's certainly not of the space. You know, yeah. it's it's both at the same time. It, it holds its own position, but it's of the space so beautifully. And I think that's part of the genius of, you know, great architecture. Um, when's, when's that one being um, completed? When's the, the wine tasting? So I think that's on the boards for May-ish to be completed so that they yeah. can um, start operating out of there. And that's sort of the, that's phase two of the project. Phase one is the production facility. So they uh -huh. can, the, the vineyard was planted some almost three years ago. And then they have the production facilities so that they can actually produce actually produce the wine there. Yeah. And the tasting room now is under construction and that's the sort of the, the face to the public. Yeah. So that's the experience that, you know, people will come to grow and understand as part of the identity and branding of. I was going to say the brand, the brand of it, that'll be the touch point for the, you know, consumer touch point of the, of the business. Did you guys design the other parts of the business of the structures they've got? like the um, manufacturing facility and stuff as well. Yes. And that was a, you know, a very straightforward. It's like, it's architecture without architects in a way. Um, it's just a prefabricated Quonset hut building. A steel oh, cool. Yeah, really. Engineer building. And it's just bang for your buck space. Yeah. Right. How cool. That, but, but yeah. And then you've, so you've got that, which is actually a part, another part of the brand story, but not one that the public get. It's what that's one that the facility has. Um, but as you say, like, yeah, it's just, it's practical. It's move it through. It's um, price driven. It's everything else that cool. yeah, it is, it's beautiful. It's basically, I would say it's beauty in utility. Yes. That, yeah. That part of the project is, um, has its own sort of essential beauty. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, tell me about, uh, so, so you guys, that's one of the projects that you've got now. Tell me about maybe one of your other favorite projects. And I shouldn't say favorite, but just <laughs> a project. Cause you know, they, they all have, I'm sure they all have favorite things, but some of the things, I mean, maybe a project that has something that um, you kind of pulled off or you went, wow, um, we could, we, we present an, you know, we've all done this. We present an idea and thinking that the client may never even go for this but wouldn't it be great if we could get this and, um, but, and, and wouldn't it be great for the client, not just for ourselves, but wouldn't it be great if this idea went forward and um, have you got one like that, that you go, Oh, and you know, it, and from there it became what it, what it is. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I, I think one, <laughs> I think one interesting one that we're, we're currently working on is we have the opportunity that we've been working on our own house. Oh, okay, cool. And so our, our own house is in a way, <laughs> in many ways, like what you a, just a, said. A laboratory. <laughs> yes, it, it absolutely is a, is a laboratory for that yeah. kind of um, thinking because we have been on and off designing and thinking about something for the better part of 10 years. Yeah. Since we've, since we've owned the property and in the, in the meanwhile, we've had lots of opportunities to design projects for, 
you know, clients and lots of learnings. Yeah, lots of lots of experience and lots of learnings. So you some unbuilt. Yeah, um, and so that extends into that project that we developed probably like twenty to twenty five different houses. I can imagine. Yeah, and there's a book book in that. (laughs) There's a stack of sketches about that. Yeah. Um, but the, the funny thing is, so we kept drawing, um, I would say, a similar uh, design of the plans, maybe just different configuration, but they all orient the, the house in a certain way, whereas uh, the house, every room has like this great view of Camelback, which is like a... a yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, so we kept, you know, drawing it, just not happy with it. And then one summer I took the kids uh, with me to Taiwan. And then one day we were talking on the phone and he's like, I think we're going to do a roundhouse. So he completely <laughs> changed the design of the house. To took, for you, took for you to go away for him to <laughs> be brave enough. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, so while that, you were away, I changed something. Yeah. Yes. And it, it actually was, so we started working on that plan and that plan itself went through, I don't know how many iterations of, 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 fine, of fine tuning, but yeah. the essence of the idea of straying away from, you know, maybe, I, I don't know if you want to call it that, but a language that we were used to or accustomed to. I mean, I hate to say that because that's not true of, of I think no. what we do. We're trying to broaden our language to accommodate many, many different sort of circumstances. Mm-hmm. But in this particular case, I just think it's definitely pushed the boundaries of you know, everything that we're interested in across the board. Because one, it's our own house. And two, you know, it's our own budget. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's turned out to be a fantastic learning experience about uh, just our design process, our design in general, and how we push certain aspects of what we do um, that hopefully will continue to extend in the work that we do for others as well. Oh, it couldn't not. That's the thing. That's part of the journey. I, I think that, you know, like talking with lots of architects, it's far easier to design um, for a client than it is for yourself just because of the, the self-pressure you put on it, um, yeah, based from every possible angle. And I go, I know people say to me with that, I go, oh, I'm quite happy just to live in the house we have. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the minute you go into, and I've drawn plenty of times, I've drawn my own home, Again, but I'm drawing it from a purely selfish point of view of what I would have, not necessarily what the what would suit the family or anything else. So it is. It's a it's a really interesting thing. It, I do this thing with people when we talk about writing a wish list of of it. I go, okay, so I want you to write them separately. I don't want you to communicate um, along the way. I just want you to write your own selfish wish list as if you've never met the other person, and then you can blend them. Um, after that, you can do a third wish list that's a blend of those. And we've got a whole bunch of rules around it. But it's really, it's so hard to be that selfish, to disconnect yourself from everything else that 
would matter or whatever. And Joe, this is just what I would have. Um, and it's a, yeah, I find it fascinating. It's one of the um, the the most fun parts of of a design process for me is to see what they threw out, who who threw what out to get to the final list. Um, you know, who gave up on that part of their dream, uh, or thought they were going to give up on that part of their dream um, along the way. So yeah. And and we get the funniest things. Like I had somebody who said to me, um, they were on acreage, and they said one of their things that they'd given up on was um, having horse riding trails. And I'm like, really? It's probably like you know, five thousand dollars or something. <laughs> like that. this, that's that could be really easy on your land, <laughs> um, you know. And uh, and you, they they're like, really? And I said, well, mate, it's a few gates probably it's just enough to control some areas it's not like stupid um you know to to be able to do something like that and clearing some foliage and clearing some land space anyway i digress there um so tell me this with public works versus um private works tell me about the dynamic that happens for you guys with that the the um that thing of with public works it's going to be used by multiple people you know like i'm thinking like the tasting room it's going to be used by multiple people and yes there's more planning um you know compliance and stuff like that um but when you're suddenly going this is part of the brand story versus it's somebody's private residence tell me around there I mean, definitely the philosophy of how we approach the work from a, like, what is that spatial experience going to be like? That's, and what is that, and in turn, what is that atmosphere that we're creating? That's the driving force behind every, every, every move that we make, everything that we do. Um, so regardless of whether or not it's a, bathroom remodel which we have done of course uh, yeah. or or uh you know a tasting room or a multifamily type you know townhouse development all that's driven by that same sort of ethos like patricia was saying um just like what is the feel of that space going to be mm. you know what is that atmosphere that we're creating because at the end of the day we, we always like to tell our um, clients that you know we're not here to just drop floor plans right the kind yeah. of the oh. quintessential thing that they, everyone thinks architects do is just yeah yeah that's just uh, a function of what has to happen to get it built <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> correct correct it's like I putting mean, gas in the car you know yeah. there's the car there's the journey there's everything else but we do need gas that's the that's the that's the construction drawings <laughs> right right so i mean uh yeah, I mean, generally, again, that philosophy holds true for any of the projects that we do. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say. Yeah, cool. Um, we, we were talking before we started recording about um, the, that thing, you know, the, 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 the photography and the image that's put out there, because you have actually a really beautiful website um, as well, of course, which isn't unusual, um, but it's, um, it's, pretty stunning and i would say probably interesting in the fact that you chose to produce it in i'm going to say black and white but all sh all shades of gray um and 
yeah, it's got a really lovely journey at the start of it. So why why did you choose to do it in that pure form of you know using black and white photography? And tell me about the about the importance of the image because you know as well we'll get into that. Tell me about that piece first. So I, I mean one thing is interesting about the the website and maybe a little bit of my own background. So I have a strong interest in photography. Um, you know, kind of came from a world of, you know, you know, develop your own and, and print your own prints. Oh, cool. Yeah. Old school. Old school and le- learn that um, sort of throughout high school and developed an affinity for that. And, um, you know, just enjoy black and white photography and black and white prints. And then ironically or interestingly or kind of humorously, like where we went to school, um, everyone draws at the time, you know, uh, it's pencil on vellum, 2A to be on vellum. And that was like the hallmark of everyone who came out of, you know, RISD at the time like that. And it's just very funny because once you get to, once you get to grad school, you could always tell who came from where based on how they drew. Oh, really? Yeah. Which was really interesting. And it was just on the cusp of, you know, when computers were becoming, um, you know, I, I, a big advantage and learning AutoCAD in school, but primarily everything that we do, we were at the end of, you know, drawing by hand. So everything there was also black and white. Not, not that that's a primary reason, but I have to think that that's part of the underlying reason. So with black and white photography, for me, there's a kind of purity involved mm-hmm. with what that is in terms of the abstraction of form and telling a story in a certain way that, you know, hides less in a way you're less distracted by yeah yeah so that's part of the reason why uh you know that's on the website as the first kind of um moment that you see the work and then when you click on it you kind of then you get to color yeah which i love i love the fact that you take them on a journey um from that black and white to the color and you know because it's like it's like seeing it twice it's like seeing yeah, it, it, it's it's a journey. It's a really lovely journey. And and the black and white part of it, I love as well, because it, it is that purest form. It's like, it's got an artisticness to it, but not just that, you're only really getting to play with the light plays and the shapes, um, right. you know, far more so than if it was in color and then your eyes travels to different places so much in a different manner so yeah it's a it's a really beautiful way of taking something in and it's considered and in talking to you i get that part of that process of your considered work between each other as well fits with that same kind of outcome um but it's uh, yeah it's lovely it's really lovely um how do you choose which buildings we will show because um, you probably don't show everything, I'm sure. <laughs> who, who, who gets to choose? Um, or is it just a time constraint? And you go, God, we've got to get that photographed and get it up there. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's definitely some of that too. Um, like it's funny that you mentioned about the website, which is now, a li- you know, it's a little bit lagging behind. It's older just because uh, techn- technologically, I don't really know how to <laughs> update it that well. So our, <laughs> our Instagram page is something that has, um, you know, that's an easy thing. And it's a, it's a visual aspect of the work, which is 
you know, our, our sort of face to the public, if you will. And so that's been an interesting journey as well, because it's, it was more of a hobby for a yeah. long time. Um, but because of the, again, the interest in photography and, and, and at the end of the day, you know, that's how we communicate with imagery. A hundred percent. Yeah. Instagram has become a, you know, an important part of, of what we do and it's, and it's fun. And, and, and it's quick. It's instant. It's quick. You can yeah. update things right yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, I look on yours and I go, there isn't too many, um, what you would call on your Instagram, too many just snaps, you know, they're not like random holiday snaps. They're deliberately, <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, we're not putting that up. <laughs> right. And we're extremely mindful of that because we want it to be something that's uh, curated. Like uh-huh. that. Um, and then maybe the, maybe the story is a little bit more of what you're describing where it's uh, sort of an instance, but the caveat there is it's, 24 hours so if it's not that's good it. yeah we, we don't okay. it exactly exactly one of the things that um for anybody who goes and looks on your instagram and we will post these things is i want you to go and look at the um shoe design by your son um i think they were fantastic they're one of the things when i was scrolling year well maybe would have been a year ago maybe when, yeah. when that yeah. went up i was scrolling through your instagram and, um, you know, one of those things where you've been going down a rabbit hole and you've clicked on this thing and that thing and all the rest. And um, anyway, and I came across those, uh, your son's shoe designs, and I went, oh, how fun is that? How cool is that? It's just brilliant. I love it. Um, so, yeah, a big shout out to that, eh? because it is, it's beautiful creativity and that whole, you know, there's a left shoe and there's a right shoe and they're not the same. they're they're a story they're a story you know yeah yeah, yeah. and and that was kind of one of the things that captured me early on about that whole um the way you visually present stuff and do things was when I saw those I'm like that's so I was going to say not necessarily out of context for the rest of stuff but it's not about architecture it's it's about what he's doing and then just the the, the joy of that creation and the story part of it. And he might not end up an architect. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know what it's like. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, they, not that they shouldn't end up architects by any means. It's sort of, um, but it's that exploring their creativity. Exactly. This is a question. I've never asked anybody this question before. Um, how do you, how does, how does it change how you see architecture when you're with your kids and what did they see? Like, what did they see that you relearn? You know, with kids, one of the best things about kids is, is that you a, have to be trained by them to understand them. Um, and the, the harder you are to train, the more of a um, fractious journey you get with them. Um, and while you think you're the one doing the training, you're the one being taught. And then they see things that you don't normally see, you know, like little kids certainly look on microscopic things, you know, like they, they'll get fascinated by a rock or a leaf or the texture of something that's just hand size, you know, and then as that journey goes along, but do you get something from the kids in the journey of architecture 
that has changed how you see things? It's a tricky one. It's a, it's a tricky one, but I'll, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Um, which was interesting. We were, we were just kind of sort of visiting a project this morning and um, the, the homeowner was kind enough to say, oh, you know, just come visit. And the kids hadn't seen the project yet and then we could share it with them. And, you know, I'm, we're walking around and like, I'm giving a tour yeah. to the kids as if they're, you know, like a client. client. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm like over here and I'm showing them like, oh, you know, check this out you know th here's these two different grains of wood and they're you know one's quarter sawn and one's plain sliced and they all came from this log so that all the wood matches in the house and i'm thinking to myself like why am i telling this to the kids they they're one not going to remember and two they have no idea what i'm talking about yeah, exactly and zero three, zero context nor, nor do they care in a way of that the only the only person who cares is, is us yeah, you, you two are deep in your story yeah. <laughs> right. right. And so it just, it's funny because I had to take a step back and think about like, how do you explain to someone just the basics of what, you know, you, what you poured your heart and soul into, yeah. into this project. And ultimately it comes back to, you know, how do you feel when you come into this space? Like that's all it ends up and boils back down. A hundred percent. Isn't that, isn't that interesting, eh? And yet the detail of it and the, the, the things that you work so hard to create, they certainly add to what, how the space feels, no doubt. Um, but they aren't what necessarily makes the space. That They're of the space, not necessarily the space. Go, right. Patricia. Uh, it was, I think it was important to point out the details to them mm -hmm. to show them what, you know, the, the little thing matters and that's what sometimes it, it, it makes it that much richer. I, the nuances, I always think there's so much in what you just said then. The, the, the nuances and the detail, whilst they may not be obvious, psychologically there's a there's another level that feels them and may or may not be able to just quite put the finger on what it is but there's something that's harmonious something that feels right something that's layered in it's considered it's like watching a great movie and if you watch it 10 times over you notice stuff every time beyond just the storyline and the plot you know, you start to notice all these lovely little nuances and you go, yeah, they didn't just shoot this, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. They, they didn't rush it together. They, they considered at so many layers um, what mattered and how the light fell and, you know, what was in the shot and what wasn't in the shot. And I think the same with architecture. It's like it's, it's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of um, considered thought to get to an outcome. Um, Absolutely. We, we fundamentally believe that in our work and, and hopefully the work shows that, that we have an extremely strong interest in detail and tectonics, right? Like the art and merging of the art and science of construction and how those things come together to support kind of an overall ethos or this overall kind of essence for any project. So yeah. that's something that's been really important to us because we, again, fundamentally believe that, um, 
you know, the difference between good architecture and like the really, really fantastic pieces of architecture is the detail. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, that, that, that is probably the only difference, you know, there's great architecture um, and there's great ideas, but if, unless they're beautifully executed with just care and attention, they're robbed of their journey. They're robbed of, you know, they're just shiny. They're not, yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's what, and, you know, one of the things I think that touring architecture um, makes it so, makes touring architecture so important is because you're in that immersive environment. And when you get in that immersive environment, it's, Yes, there's, there's something in every level of it to be taken. And when you work in that, um, in the discipline, or you work in any discipline that requires that, you can peel back the layers of it and find the different meanings behind each piece of it um, and see why, as one, it all comes together. I've, I've got a, a friend who used to say, you know, like, um, it's it's all about the, the the ingredients and the recipe. So we can take the ingredients, and you could give the ingredients of a cake, say, to anybody. Um, but without the recipe, it doesn't become, um, I suppose, what its out what its final outcome. So we can all make a cake out of the same ingredients, but we won't make the same cake. And then it becomes how you actually use those ingredients in their smallest pieces and you know like a great chef would do stuff with ingredients that you go really but again that's great architecture it's those pieces along the way that journey it to what it becomes um and that's why yeah the greatness in it exists mm. right and and then you do realize all of a sudden that there is an awful lot of ordinary um compared to the the special pieces you know when you look at it as a broad marketplace it's uh, it's it, there's a lot of ordinary out there, and then the other stands out because of it. Um, you guys are in Phoenix, and what are three favorite buildings in Phoenix? What are three of your favorites? If I was coming to Phoenix, three I couldn't miss, and why? Your new house, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, come visit. Yes, yeah, so yeah. you can come visit for <laughs> we'll hopefully be uh, almost in by <laughs> that time. Um, but I mean, when people come to visit, we always tell them that they have to go see Phoenix Central Library. Yeah, the Phoenix Central Library is uh, now almost. I believe it's they just celebrated their twenty fifth year, uh, the twenty five year award from the AIA. I think I can't remember, um, but it's uh, you know kind of rewind back to 1991 and uh you know the kind of main central library for phoenix the city of phoenix is a large 240,000 square foot you know wow. icon of a library in the heart of uh central phoenix um it's actually uh, a building that made me realize that i could come back to arizona and mm. because, there was, because there was good work going on. Mm. And what was even more interesting is, you know, we were sitting there in Boston working and I had no idea that this building was happening in my hometown. Yeah. Wow. I had just totally discounted 
and said, I'm never going back there. I don't think I want to work with anyone back there, you know, to kind of uh, get experience and this and that until I, until I saw that project go up. Yeah, wow. Okay, so the library's a, a key one, like really key, as a big public work as well. Yep, yep, that's, that's right. Um, what else? What else is there? Jeez. What would be what would be some another place that um, and it could be for any reason as well. It doesn't have to be as iconic as maybe the library. Um, yeah, what would be something else that you go? Don't miss this. This is really worth seeing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a a house that uh, actually was designed for Frank Lloyd Wright's son mm-hmm. um, that was open to the public for a little bit and then it's changed hands and there's preservation discussion. And I can't remember that house is, is just an exceptional, rather small house, which is, you know, great as well. Yeah. Just, it's just a really fundamentally exceptional piece of architecture. Um, I think it's the, David. yeah, Gladys and David Wright house. Um, just in, you know, now surrounded by lots of, <laughs> overblown fake uh farmhouse looking projects in uh, a section of town called arcadia Mm -hmm. Um, you know it used to be sort of pristine desert and now i have no idea why the farmhouse thing is there but it it exists as a language for that part of the neighborhood um that one's a really fantastic yeah uh, wow architecture and gosh a third one well thank goodness everybody didn't try and copy it (laughs) <laughs> in that piece of town at least it stands out like chuck it in amongst a bunch of farmhouses it's got a reason for being you know but if everybody tried to copy it it'd be like which one was it which one <laughs> right. right um gosh a third one i mean i'm trying to think like someone who comes and travels here i know from you know, I, I, I had a house that um, I, I used to live in Christchurch, in, uh, in, which is in the South Island of New Zealand. So I'm a Kiwi um, and I lived, I've moved to Australia about 20 years ago, 20 something years ago. And um, there was a house that was an arts and crafts style home that was on the corner of um, a, a, a road called Fennelton um, Road, which is a big road. And uh, this arts and crafts style house was one of those things. And it was actually called Los Angeles. I don't know why it was a named house. You know, somebody had decided that at the point. And I would deliberately go that way past that house just because it was a great looking house. Mm-hmm. You know, like there could be something like that where you just go, you know what? There's something that happens there, you know, whether it was, I don't even know why I thought it was a great looking house. It was a good looking house. Um, But, you know, whether it was because of a movie or because it was something that I'd seen in the Valley or something like that, you know, like was there, what was the connection for me with it? Um, But, you know, it looked sort of like that William Morris could have had a hand in it kind of thing. You know, it was, it just had all that feel to it. And you went, oh, wow. You know, yeah, I never went in it. I don't even know whether it's still there. It's been years since I've been back there. Right. Um, no, I think just just out of town, just north of town. Um, so Paulo Soleri was a you know a practicing architect here in town, and sort of had a great vision for the future of how 
uh, you know, people should live, especially in the desert. So just outside of town here, I think it's about 70 miles north of here, is uh, his beginning of his vision called Arcosanti. How do you um, spell that? A-R-C-O uh, and then Cosanti, C-O-S-A-N-T-I. And it's all, uh, you know, he's an Italian architect who immigrated to here. I don't remember his full story, but sort of his vision and his visionary um, uh, aspects of how we should live in the desert and how cities should evolve from that is a fantastic, um, has a fantastic pioneer of innovation here. Yeah, cool. Cool. That's, yeah. So there you go. There's three that are like, I mean, the library is probably the one that's the given, you know? <laughs> yes. The, the other two are the journey, you know? The, the other, so that's really cool. I really like that. That's fun to be able to do as well and be able to go, this is, this is why these things, are, you know, are meaningful um, to you guys. And, and also, you know, that there's a history behind them and stuff. Um, we've talked a lot about the, the feel of something, and I often have this conversation when we're, when we're designing is should everything, I won't say feel the same, but when we're working our way through a, a house, we'll use a house, um, how the moods need to change. So whilst you're in one space, as in inside, under the roof and inside the walls, um, that the journey of moods in a house as well. Um, if you got any comment on that, yeah, I'll use our house as an example. Perfect. I think, like what I mentioned before, since we had this great view of Camelback, the initial. Um, idea was always every room in the house will have this view, the same yeah. view. And eventually we talked about it and realized every room should have its own, um, own focus on like the, the type of mood that we want to create and what what uh, the function of the room, does it need to all face the same view? Should it have privacy into the courtyard? Um, so like, for example, the public space of the house, uh -huh. we've done a projects where clients want one big open space, kitchen, living, dining, it's all in. Yep, all in, one, all in one main part. And then they, and it has this great view. So when it came to our house, we thought about, we want, we love the open floor plan, but we didn't want everything to have the same, just the same experience. Cool. So we actually separated our kitchen, which the kitchen is viewed as this black hole. The whole kitchen is black. And wow. it has no view, no window, no nothing. <laughs> So you're, when you're in there, you're focusing on what you're doing, your food, the cooking, the... The joy, of, the joy of that creation without right. distraction. Exactly. It's not about the view. It's about 
your what you're doing in it, it is i mean uh, it's not in a hole it's, <laughs> no. it's, a, shared, it's a shared space <laughs> with we don't have to dig down under the ground and get in right there. yeah it's a shared space with the dining and living space but it's just not sort of explicitly part of the dining living space kind of how we would i guess maybe yeah. typically default to mm-hmm. in in you know yeah. the work in, in most work yeah and and then most people's expectation yeah you know most people's expectation would be um that it wouldn't be just focused on that food preparation and with, with you know with less distraction which yeah. i I really, as you were saying about it, Patricia, I'm going on the journey in my head. I'm seeing it and I'm going, oh, wow, how cool. You know, like how how neat to be able to just pull that all that energy and focus it in that one spot. I always think that, you know, like a, a kitchen, it, it's A, it's a workspace, um, but B, it's a love space. Um, and then C, it's a highly creative space. And then D, it's a um, entertaining space as well. And then if you want to keep going, it can become a status space as well. You know, kitchens are high status um, in in architecture. And when you look at all the functions it's got to do, and it's got to operate from morning through to evening, through to your family, through to guests, to all these different things in this space and maintain connection with other people and what's going on to be able to go, okay, cool. So we'll pull all the distraction down and it still does all those things, but it will just pull the distraction down. I love that. I love it. It's uh, And again, you know, probably slightly unexpected, which is kind of fun. Well, it's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing what that's like. It'll be really cool. Um, I think there's a a real um, thing with when you have an amazing view is choosing how and when you see it. Um, And from from where I I did a house a little while ago and um, she said to me, she said, that the lady who whose house it is and owns it and um, we designed it for her. And she said, I want, um, I don't want anybody to see the view when I open the door. And um, I said, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I, I get that. And she's like, yeah. Cause then they stop looking at me and they look at the, they look at the view and they also feel that they can just enter my home. They feel like it's an invitation to keep going. And um, she said, I want to greet my guests. And then I'm happy for them if I'm going to bring them in. If the person at the door, if they're going to come in, then they can have the view. But not not just open the door and there's the view. Yeah. Right. It's, a, again, really interesting journey of it. She wanted that intimate moment with her guests or with people. She wanted that bit connection to be there rather than it just be the view. And I was like, yeah. And, you know, sometimes you see these, these places where the – um, got the most incredible situations and views and you go inside and it's so deliberately chosen. These window spaces are so deliberately chosen instead of a curtain wall of glass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And again, it creates this mood and this journey that um, I think is brave because it's so much easier just to do a curtain wall of glass. <laughs> it's like, oops, I missed that bit. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but that's part of that journey, isn't it? Uh, um, tell me, this is one of my most favorite questions on the podcast, and um, it is if today you had to do one last project, there was only one, you could never do another one. Um, that's it. You could be only known for the work you've done in the past and this one last project. What would you choose to do and why? I'm going to steal Patricia's uh, question that she has been asked and now she can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then you say it. I'll let you steal it. I think one one uh, program type that would be interesting is a school, is a yeah. school like a like a grade school. Um, there's so much left to be desired uh, in schools uh, in our country that are just uninspiring, quite frankly. You know, um, you think about sort of the all the the kindergartens and and things like that that happen in Europe, uh, in, in Switzerland, and the history mm-hmm. associated with some of those things, they're far more interesting than here where they're just churned out as these, quite frankly, horrific spaces that you're trying to foster the minds of these young people in mm-hmm. just the worst or spaces. And, you know, we've, we've seen them all, our, our Kids are kind of in some of them right now. Yeah, um, we, a little bit better than 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 some of the other ones that we've seen. But I think if if we had that opportunity, that would be that would be fun and and uh, interesting to be able to kind of have have something that in the work and that's the goal of the the work as well is to really inspire others. So I think a school, a great yeah. school, would be interesting. I think that's fabulous. Like I, I, you know, we get all kinds of answers to this, um, which I love. And to do a school where you actually get to, as you say, it's this really well-considered um, so that they get to experience something from the structural part of it as much or more than they would otherwise. It's not fun, not, not just function, it's, it's structural. My kids um, went to Montessori school. Um, my eldest, uh, she graduated from Montessori uh, at, at high school, you know, at finish of school. And my other um, daughter's in grade, she's going into grade seven. Um, and something that's really interesting with that is it was a, a, a Greenfield school. So it was, it was brand new and Montessori starts with very early learning, very, you know, um, young learning to start off because that's the basis of the Montessori philosophy, Maria Montessori's whole thing. And um, they built a building, which they call the roundhouse, which is got very few windows to the outside. It's got lots of glass to the inside and it is, um, so it looks inward and, I was talking to the, the architect, a guy called Philip Daffer, and I said to him, why this? You know, why this? Like, where's, where's the windows that look at the outside world? And there is some, but they're small. And he said, well, in this age, stage of development, you know, when he did all his study on, on how it works, 
this is an inward looking time in their lives and it's a development of that first part of their lives with protection around them so that they're safe and they have this um what is called the roundhouse so it's like a it's almost like something like the globe theater in a sense it's got a big piece in the middle where you can hold events and all these kinds of things um and i was like oh wow okay and then in talking with the principal and stuff beyond that, it was when they get to move out to their sort of like senior years um, that they get more and more, they're on a, this is actually on a school farm as well. So they've got a farm. Um, they, they Then it becomes more outward looking as the stages of their development. And I look at it and I go, there's not another school, anything like it. And now whole region we've got more private schools per head of population than any other part of australia right here where i live and there is nothing with that consideration um and it would be lost on so many unless you knew the story but it's exactly what you were just saying about understanding how you create that journey with beauty and architecture and always with a budget like my god it's it's a school there's going to be a, a budget you know it's not an endless endless pit of money um so it's got to be thoughtful and then well-budgeted. I love the answer. And you get to affect something for so long, you know, yeah. it changes people's lives. I was talking with a guy, um, Hugh, on the podcast uh, a year or so ago, and he was saying how he grew up in Houston and they lived down the road from Neil Armstrong and uh, there were all these mid-century homes and he came from a place where there was, you know, not a place, but from a family where architecture wasn't really anything. And he discovered it through those other homes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and that's what enlivened him. And that was when he went, I want to be a part of something like this. Uh-huh. And so, you know, that, like you explaining before about taking the kids through the house, the weirdest things that I always think happens is, is they retain certain parts of that information and they look for it everywhere else to see whether you were smart or right or whatever. You know, they look for evidence of whether it was a good idea um, because it was probably, there were unusual parts, you know, taking all the wood from a tree and chopping it in different ways to put it all in one structure. That is something that um, if, if they caught that, then they will look for evidence of it in other places and why it worked so well or why it, why it's that way or isn't everything done that way might be their next thing you know surely that's how it's all done isn't it you know not not we get a stick from over there and a stick from over here and a stick from there and hell we try and make them all look the same when they go in the room yeah <laughs> so yeah that kind of um considered stuff i think is you know the beauty of when you were describing, you know, taking them through the house, like they, like you were telling them of all the things that are passionate and the details and all the pieces that actually make it so special. Um, could it's so important to have the conversation, even if it's only you that hears it, you know, because <laughs> some filter happens and then at some point it, it possibly becomes meaningful and it sets a journey up. Um that, that gives them another dimension that they would have never got exposed to otherwise. Yeah, I think so. It's like you were saying about that library building, you know, when you're going to go back to Phoenix and you go, wow, I could, I could live in a place that has this. 
and how important that is rather than going, imagine having to live here, you know. <laughs> I, was talking, I was talking on a podcast the other day with a, um, with a, a lady and she was talking about um, a, so we haven't released this one yet, um, but she's from up in uh, the northern states and she was saying about when she was studying architecture about a, a, I'd have to look at my notes for the person's name, but this person wasn't an architect. But what they did is, is they they would go and they would draw different parts. So you might know this story, but draw different parts of a city and they would just present it to the, the town. They'd present it to the town, you know, council or whatever. So they'd just draw a better improved part of a city. And um, they did this regularly. I, get the feeling they were very well known for turning up at council offices with, um, you know, like a master plan of how a part of the city could be. And anyway, at some point there was an earthquake and a big part of the city got knocked down um, because of it. And they built what this person had given them a plan for years earlier and said, this is actually what we're going to do. Um, When the podcast comes out, it's Michelle Dempsey um is the person but it was just a fascinating thing and she took from that a what if so her their their whole practices um based on what if what if we changed this what if we took this opportunity what if we made this happen what if um is their kind of key phrase um and they will go and they will go as a as a group you know as their team it's not a big team they will go okay what if we improve that library what if we improve that park what if we improve that um that school and it's like a what if project that they um that they choose to do just for their own uh, somewhat amusement um but learning around how to how to think differently and how to force thinking I really loved that. I, I thought it was like really, really cool. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I have this, um, that question, you know, what if you couldn't do anything else if this was a line that was drawn? Because there's, there's a sense of legacy in just about every answer, <laughs> which I love. I love. Um, I think that like, if, uh, if you were in Phoenix and you were to visit those three places, I want you to add one more modern structure to it that um, would be, I, I had this question posed of me the other day, will we have any more preserved um, neighbourhoods? So Phoenix is a young city. And is there like going to be a historical society that's going to preserve a certain neighbourhood? And if in the next, in the last 10 years, sorry, um, is there anything significant that would be a style or a um, neighborhood style that would be something that would be worthy of preserving? Because my answer to them was, I think that there'll only be buildings, but no longer styles, like overall, because we're so homogenized. But is there is there anything like that in Phoenix where you go, uh, you know, like Palm Springs is a great example. There's just pocket upon pocket of different styles um but they're kind of blended but there's you know there is this there's sort of these main styles that exist has phoenix got anything like that 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think def- definitely um, they do, and 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 sort of uh, bless their hearts the people who uh, feel that it is their civic duty to be able to uh, preserve or or have a voice yeah. to be able to kind of talk about preservation. Um, a lot of that is definitely case by case, building by yeah. building um, pieces of our very, very young history here in this city. Um, so there definitely that exists. And then from the city of uh, Phoenix perspective, just we know specifically we've kind of worked in some of those districts, there is the historic districts of various neighborhoods that are, you know, on the cusp of being 80, 90, 100 years old now um, cool. that have that sort of, you know, that sort of charm of a, believe it or not, like a 1,200 square foot house that was built way back when and served the purpose of the occupants who lived there for many, many... Um, yeah, generations. Generations, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that definitely exists. So it's sad to see when you start to see some of those come down and new facsimiles of that come up, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot here. Like, quite frankly, there's so much in this city that is a facsimile of something else rather than embracing either the very little history that we do have or embracing, um, you know, the, the, the culture, the society, the kind of, environmental constraints of what we have as a language that we can build upon. Mm. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And look, we do see that everywhere. I think, you know, that's, uh, I don't know whether that's just part of corporate thinking or what it, what it is. I think it is. I think it's part of corporate thinking as opposed to considered thinking. It's um, yeah. how do we make a cheaper copy of that? Make it bigger. Yeah. Yep. yep. And get more money for it. <laughs> Yeah. How do we do that? Uh, what a fascinating chat, guys. I've really, really enjoyed it. Like digging into just Phoenix as well, because I don't know a lot about Phoenix. I have been, as I said, but um, I don't know a lot about it. And uh, getting a bit of an understanding of it and then how you see it. Um, and I love the black kitchen. <laughs> I do. I really do. I think that I, that that out of every podcast you, you I ever make, there's always something that I go, huh, that makes me think harder. That makes me think. And you guys pondered it for 10 years. I mean, hell, I get the answer in 10 minutes. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just that. I really do love that kind of thing of like putting all that focus around something and removing the distraction from it and making it so much, so much purpose in it. Um there's something really special in there and you'll probably end up with, you know, a thousand calls for black kitchens um, <laughs> and you'll go, who said that on the air? Like who said black kitchen <laughs> in a hole? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, whoever said that we've become known as that people, you know, those, those people who do that. Um, I've got a friend who did a, a slide in a house and he goes, that slide he just shakes his head. He goes, it was so much fun. And it is so much fun. He said, but the number of clients who call and say, or potential clients say, we want the slide. And he's like, <laughs> the hell did I ever do that slide for? 
<laughs> no, that was really, really enjoyable, guys. Really fascinating. And I look forward to coming and seeing you in Phoenix. I, I want to make the journey. So whether I get there in March or whether I get there maybe in October, we'll see. Um, but it would be great to catch up in, in person and actually feel the vibe as much as having this vibe over Zoom. Yes, absolutely. We'd, we'd love to have you. You'll either see the house in construction or it definitely completed by that yeah. October. So. Patricia's going, it better be completed. Yes. I saw the look that went across her face. Yes. It's like, you've got to have this completed. Yeah. You've got the task. No, that would be awesome. We'll post all your socials and how to get hold of you and all those things and some photos of your work and stuff like that. Um, for anybody who wants to reach out. And uh, I do want to make that one more shout out by a pair of shoes, you know, like these shoes are, are cool from your son. Um, <laughs> I, I've got this. Uh, this is the one on my picture at the moment, which is the office. <laughs> that was one of his first pair that he did. Uh, I love it. I love it. That's so cool. Um, <laughs> laces. <laughs> underscore custom shoes um, on Instagram is where we go for that. In fact, if you can send me that, I will make sure it goes in your bio as well so people can find them. That would be cool. Okay. We'll do that. Yeah. Um, thank you immensely. Have an amazing holiday season um, and enjoy. And uh, I'm going to get you to hook me up with some of those other people we talked about beforehand. <laughs> Sure. Thank Sounds you. Sounds great. Thank you for having us. Hey, thank you. You made the time. Awesome. See you later. Okay, bye. bye. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is and see how they answer? And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.